Welcome to the CFI Podcast, hosted by Canadian Forest Industries Magazine, Canada's leading national logging and solid wood products magazine since 1881. You've tuned in to hear compelling conversations on hot topics and trends in the logging and wood products industries with experts from across Canada. Hi everyone, welcome to another episode of the CFI Podcast. I'm your host, Ellen Cools, editor of Canadian Forest Industries Magazine. Thanks for tuning in. Today we're speaking with Cam Brown, Strategic Forester and Manager of Foresight Consultants Resource Management and Technology Group, about all things related to LIDAR, or light detection and ranging. This technology presents multiple opportunities for foresters and researchers to help them better examine things like the height and size of trees, the topography of an area, microhabitat diversity, and watershed modeling. In this episode, we'll be going into detail about how LiDAR works, some of the specific applications for it, its impact on the industry, and more. Cam, thanks for joining us. Thanks for having me, Ellen. Much appreciated. So for those who don't know, uh, can you give me a brief overview of LiDAR? What is it and how does it work? Sure. Well, as you said, the definition is uh, light detection and ranging. That's what LiDAR stands for. Um, it's essentially the process of using light, a laser beam, to measure the distance to an object. The technology is being used in autonomous cars, engineering design, forestry, and a lot of others. In forestry specifically, it's usually done from an airplane where um, the time it takes for the pulse of light to leave the sensor, hit the object, and come back to the plane allows this distance to be calculated. And knowing the exact position of the airplane, allows the object to be placed in the exact location in the world. A typical scenario is a plane flying about you know, 1,500 meters above the ground, shooting a million laser pulses every second, and each one of those is providing an XYZ location of whatever was hit. Often a pulse will even give multiple returns uh, because the pulse isn't completely obstructed by the first object it hits. End result is really a a dense point cloud, you know, millions to billions of points that describe the shape of the ground and any vegetation or objects that are present. It's an amazingly rich and accurate 3D picture of the world. An added bonus is that um, the color of the light of the laser and the intensity of the return, we can, we can use those to get an indication of the color of the object that was hit. For example, you know, a white object reflects more strongly than a black object. So the, the intensity of the reflection is also a, a piece of the data. So that basic point cloud is the basic data set that comes out of a LiDAR acquisition, but you can create a lot of many valuable products from that, uh, from that point cloud. Things like detailed terrain data, contours, uh, hill shades, elevation models, and so on. Uh, you can extract water features, wet areas, stream locations, buildings, road surfaces, ditches, transmission lines, and as you said, tree heights and vegetation height and even individual tree crowns. And it's those derived products that are more commonly used in forestry. Wow, that's uh, very interesting. Um, so are there different types of LiDAR? Yeah, there's both kind of different ways to collect LiDAR and different types of sensors that can be used. You know, the typical vehicle in forestry to collect LiDAR has been the, the airplane or the helicopter, but you know, you can mount a LiDAR sensor on a drone uh, or even on handheld units um, and walk through the forest. Um, and on those vehicles that hold the LiDAR sensors, you can put on different types of, of sensors themselves. The one we've been describing is called you know, traditional linear uh, laser scanning, or which puts out a single beam and gets many returns. But you know, the Ontario government is, is in an acquisition process with single photon LiDAR, which is really 
similar, but it takes that single beam, splits it into lots of little beams, uh, and only gets one return for each one. So, you know, it's 100 beams sent out all at once and one return coming back. But all of these technologies are really aimed to create that three-dimensional point cloud that describes the world. Right. So when did LiDAR first arrive on the scene, so to speak? Well, it's been a long story, actually, but uh, it, it's really sped up lately in recent years. You know, when the laser was first invented in the 60s, the, the possibility started to, to germinate in people's minds. NASA started doing stuff in the 70s with airborne remote sensing with lasers. But it wasn't very effective until high accuracy GPS systems and internal navigation systems in airplanes allowed you to know exactly where that pulse was sent from in real time. So by the mid 1990s, we saw commercial laser scanners available that could put out you know, 2,000 to 25,000 pulses per second. And those are being used for early mapping purposes. Um, but scanners are now putting out over two and a half million pulses a second, meaning they can fly higher, faster, and deliver more detailed point clouds. You know, I, I first came across LiDAR in my forestry career in the early 2000s, and it's become more, a lot more widely used in the last five to 10 years. You know, I'd say the last five years it started to really become almost common practice in many areas. Um, standard point densities in the early days were like one point per meter, and now we're talking about you know basic you know limits of eight to ten points per meter, and quite often you know double and triple that. Yeah, that's very impressive how much it's evolved um, over the years, especially in the past five years. Generally, what are some of the insights that you can uh, gain by using lidar? You know, I guess a simple answer is, you know, everything we do in forestry revolves around terrain, water, and vegetation. And LiDAR data gives us significantly better information on all three of those. I kind of like to say the blindfold has come off. We no longer have to go to the field to know what's, what's actually out there, what the terrain looks like, where the wet areas are, you know, how tall the trees are in an area. Um, we can now collect LiDAR data and, and see all that information from the office. Um, and through sophisticated processing techniques, uh, we can even identify individual trees, predict the tree species on that tree, and, and what the expected log products might be from that tree. So it, it's really quite revolutionary. Yeah, it definitely sounds like it. Um, also probably saves a lot on time and man hours needed to go out to the forest. And that's definitely something that our industry is always looking at, how to optimize operations. So how does this technology impact the forest industry in terms of our ability to sustainably manage forests, uh, deal with wildfires and pests and other similar applications? In a pretty wide number of ways. Um, I, I like the, the Baskerville quote that says, if you can't measure it, you can't manage it. You know, forestry requires us to manage trees, stands and forests. It's never been possible to keep track of all the trees in the forest. So we've used sampling systems and we've tracked stands with simplified attributes and inventory. But LiDAR allows us to track forest conditions at a much finer spatial level, sometimes at the tree level, uh, with really increased attribute detail. This increase in detail reduces the uncertainty in our sustainability assessments, allows us to look at wildlife habitat, uh, water-related issues, and allows us to better predict how the forest might look in the future. Many of the core elements of any sustainability assessment, like the size of the working land base, likely treatment regimes, current growing stock estimates, or all those things are improved with LiDAR. When it comes to wildfire and pests, because LiDAR is really collected really just uh, not very often, it's, it's a fairly significant investment. It, it, it's not a huge feedback loop currently for wildfire and pests, but uh, 
where, when you do collect it, it certainly can get, you have, give you information about this, the current state of the forest at that time. Mm -hmm. Okay, so what about for forest planning? How does LIDAR affect forest planners' ability to assess forests and plan for future activity in those forests? Yeah, that's the that's the real money question. <laughs> when you know the the primary reason forest companies, private forest companies, are paying for their own lighter acquisition in Canada is reduced road and block development costs and the safety outcomes that come with that as well. And then they find all the other benefits as well. But that that reduced cost for for operations is 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 a pretty key motivator. Um, it, Maximum savings are really realized when planners change their process to do more pre-planning and less recce to decide you know, how blocks and roads should take shape in the land. LIDAR gives us enough certainty in the terrain, water, and stand attributes that these roads and blocks can be office designed and then just refined and finalized in the field. This reduces boots in the ground time and means it's more efficient and safer uh, to do forest development. You know, examples include things like uh, office-based detailed stream gradients that can help you assess fish or non-fish status, uh, ability to predict where wet areas can be expected, uh, ability to see you know where the gullies look like, their shapes and widths, so you can pick crossings, uh, identify road and landing locations, skid trail locations, cable yarder settings, and exact tailhold trees for those cable yarder settings. And even lighter is good at picking up old roadbeds. So if you're, you know, re-entering an area that was previously harvested, you can understand exactly where those old roadbeds are. Um, all of that stuff makes it planning in the office, you know, significantly um, more efficient and effective than it ever has been before. So, you know, I guess my experience is that some companies fly lighter and they just make better maps and continue to do their old layout process but they're really only getting a fraction of the savings possible. It really isn't necessary to kind of change the way you approach the, the business once you have this, this step change in LIDAR data. But you know, I think the key there is LIDAR is helping planners you know, with these operations issues, but it's also helping planners deal with blocks when it comes to say visual, visual quality objectives, what, what's visible and not visible. Um, you know, things like where we're writing partial cutting prescriptions or selection type prescriptions that you can help identify specific trees to be harvested and those that can be left behind. So um, it's really is a step change in data and it, it changes the way we approach uh, a lot of forest operations. Yeah, that's very interesting. And it sounds like it has a lot of good applications in our industry. Um, and you kind of alluded to this, but uh, your company Foresight Consultants uh, uses LIDAR to help other forest product uh, companies in their operations. So can you share some examples of this and the impact and return on investment in these cases? Yeah, that's a great question. Um, yeah, we've done road and cup lock layout for companies in similar in similar areas with and without LIDAR data. And you know, having LIDAR can reduce you know cost by you know, you know typically 20 to 30 percent, uh, at least here in BC. That can mean you know a, a dollar a meter cubed in the interior and two dollars a meter cubed on the coast in terms of cost reduction, which is quite significant. Um, the more the more difficult the terrain and the more remote the area being planned, the higher the cost savings. But even areas on uh, you know on the prairies where we work, uh, you know, we, where wet water and wet areas are, are really critical to define harvest season um, and, and or road locations, you know, that it, it can be quite powerful there as well. Um, you know, another example that I've seen in our group is that you know when we get the roads and boundaries in the right spot every time. 
it saves money at the logging stage as well because it avoids costly situations like poor road locations, crossings, you know, tough corners and blocks and so on. Um, you know, there's a lot of money spent in logging and making logging more efficient can be another real cost saving uh, approach. And loggers really love to have that detailed train information in their cabs and their machines. It makes them safer and more efficient when they fully understand all the wrinkles on the ground in the block. Um, you know, another application will be we've produced several million hectares of highly detailed forest inventories that start out with identifying kind of individual trees. Um, and it helps companies in their operations and doing timber supply analysis work. It, it's a very, it's really powerful when strategic models are based on the same data that on the ground operations is using. Um, that data is able to provide detailed log profiles for planting cup blocks and then link to, you know, log supply to mills over longer time frames and over larger areas. You know, this kind of linkage ensures that the AAC can be found on the ground and, you know, really keeps things real. We've also used LIDAR to identify wildlife habitat, things like goshawk flyways under, under canopy, ungulate winter range, uh, thermal cover areas, and so on. Uh, we've actually used it to find First Nation cultural features like uh, old pit house locations and even understand uh, hydrologic recovery in watersheds. That watershed stuff's in particular interest. We do a lot of that. And, and I find one particular example I found really interesting was when uh, there was a bit of dispute over where water flowed on a, on a given watershed, if it flowed to a, a given one drainage or another. And you know, LIDAR just gives definitive answers because the elevation of every square meter is clearly defined. There's no extrapolation. So we can simply, simulate dropping a bucket of water on anywhere in that landscape and simply watch where the water goes. You end up with really definitive watershed boundaries. And I found that quite interesting. In general, the ROI is sometimes comes out of direct cost savings, like in the development, and sometimes it's coming out of the reduction of uncertainty in the planning process. You know, in, and in general, that results in better environmental, social, and economic outcomes for forest management. Yeah, it's very impressive, especially the idea that you could simulate dropping a bucket of water on this and figure out where it flows. That's something I never would have thought of, um, but it's very impressive that this technology can do that. Totally. Yeah, uh, but of course, to use LiDAR properly, uh, operators have to have a certain level of technological understanding and knowledge. So how important is it that the operators are trained in this area? It's a good question. Um, like the collection and processing of data is highly technical, but once the end products are created, the end user really doesn't need a lot of technical training to use them. They're simply just available in their existing GIS mapping systems. So, uh, you know, new and innovative ways are constantly being looked at to work with the data and extract more value from it. Um, but if you can use a GIS system, you can leverage the LiDAR products that are, that are created. The biggest change that I've seen in terms of training and, and uh, technology needs is the, the, the link between the folks who design roads and blocks, uh, who have typically been field-based folks, and the office-based GIS folks. You know, often you know, there maybe isn't a strong overlap between mapping skills or GIS skills and, and field layout and development skills, but what we really need is techie forest techs. Like, you know, someone who knows what an appropriate road grade and a switchback needs to look like, and they can do that in a, in a GIS environment. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's good to know. So when it comes to integrating LiDAR into forestry operations, what are some of the first steps that companies should follow? 
I think a key message would be that they need to know that it improves almost everyone's job in the company from planners to silviculturists to logging supervisors and, and so on. So you really need to make that data accessible. It, you can't just give a hard drive of a, G, of a LiDAR product to the GIS person in your shop and, you know, and, and just leave it there. It needs that data needs to be made available to, to everyone, either through web maps at a minimum or maybe through uh, more GIS licenses uh, and some training in that area. There's value in understanding, you know, terrain data, tree heights, and stream data across the uh, across the company. It, as we said earlier, the biggest change comes in this layout and planning part of the business uh, and the workflows that follow from that. It really means, uh, you know, less uh, recce layout time in the field and more pre-planning. So, you know, that's that's something that people really need to focus on that change in the business process. And, you know, I've I also pretty strongly believe that you know developing value-added products from the lidar data, like a detailed forest inventory, is really worthwhile because it really just enhances all of the things we've been talking about. Absolutely. So there's obviously a lot of benefits to using lidar, uh, but what are some of the challenges or barriers to forest products companies um, when they try to integrate this technology? For sure. Um, there's a few. You know, initially just getting the data can be a challenge. Um, you know, in in cases where, you know, in general, it costs 75 cents to up to two bucks a hectare to acquire the basic data. Um, and so significant capital investment can be required. And, you know, some some jurisdictions are seeing government step up and provide that data, a place like Ontario and New Brunswick and Quebec. And, uh, and you know, Alberta did some in the early 2000s. You know, other places, uh, you know, companies having to find a way to, to provide the return on investment and uh, rationale and purchase that data. But then they end up with, you know, much smaller, more, fo more focused areas or collections. And you end up with this kind of patchwork quilt of different collections from different years at different standards. Um, but even if you do have government data, you know, it can be a challenge to get that data out of their hands and into your hands so they can be easily used and consumed like we just talked about. Um, Another key thing is just if you actually work with the, the point cloud, which again, I, I don't think most people will, but they're very large data sets. So you have to have the infrastructure to do that. Uh, but for the most part, just adding the, the detailed, you know, contours and uh, hill shades and, and canopy height models also requires some additional data storage and expertise as well in the GIS system. Um, but again, I, I think one of the biggest challenges is again, this, this idea of changing the business process uh, people have, uh, you know, it, it's hard to make change in, inside a business when you've got people trained to do a, a particular thing in a particular way. And now you need to, you know, kind of reinvent the wheel and say, okay, hey, we're now we're going to do block development like this um, because we want to maximize the value. Um, that can be, that can be difficult. But if you don't, I, I, I strongly believe you're probably only seeing 10 to 20% of the return on investment you can get out of wider. It really does need to be, a, you know, a change in the way you approach the approach the system. Right. Yeah, change can be scary, but definitely also necessary. Yeah. So what do you think needs to happen in the industry to overcome these barriers? Um, things like, you know, managing innovation and change in organizations to improve efficiencies is, has never been easy, but those that figure it out will be rewarded. Um, you know, I'm not going to try to get into organizational change advice, but, you know, there's lots out there. Um, I think things like partnerships between uh, government and companies to collect the data and then manage that data and create the value added products uh, could be quite powerful. Yeah, it's, it's one of those things where uh, it, investment in infrastructure 
and training is required, um, but it, it's not like it's high tech. So it's, te it's teaching mapping and GIS to people who haven't maybe traditionally done that role in the company. Mm -hmm. Definitely think that more partnership between government and industry is uh, going to be critical. So do you expect that LiDAR will become more popular in the next five to 10 years? Absolutely. Um, LiDAR is just going to continue to explode. I think people will remember the first time they got LiDAR on their forest and it'll stick with their brain. It's, an, it's really a game changer. Yeah, that would be uh, very exciting to see. So as it becomes more common and more integrated in forestry operations, how do you think the industry will change? I think this type of data is going to allow the industry to continue towards more safe and efficient practices. It's going to increase confidence in that we're managing sustainably, and it's going to help us better understand non-timber issues like wildlife habitat needs and how to manage for those needs. It, it, I think it's really going to make us better what we do. Uh, it, it's, it's really, I don't think it's the magic bullet, but it really is better vegetation, terrain, and water information, and that's everything we do in forestry. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, so what do you think needs to happen to ensure that the sector stays up to date with new technology like this? I think it's, as we said, investment uh, in the technology and the products um, and then the training of the people. I think the industry is going to be attracting younger tech savvy people that can work with digital data to both understand the forest and then plan blocks and roads, while also having people that you know are really at home in the forest confirming soils, you know, rock types, rock quality, you know, ecosystems and so on. It, it's this blend between folks that enjoy the forest, but are also a bit tech savvy, are gonna really excel in, in the future industry. And we really need to ensure the industry, universities and tech schools are teaching students how to leverage LiDAR data in the practice of forestry. Yeah, that's definitely gonna be critical. And as more young people come into the industry, I think technology like this will become much more common and will definitely help improve our industry. Totally agree. So uh, it sounds like LiDAR presents a lot of opportunities for the future of our industry, and I'm excited to how things progress in the coming years. Yeah, so am I. It, it's really definitely changed uh, what we've been doing in the last several years, and I look forward to you know continue to do that and innovate into the future. Great. Well, thanks again for joining us and sharing your insights on the topic. Appreciate it. Thanks for the opportunity. And thanks, everyone, for listening to this episode of the CFI Podcast. Join us for another episode next month.